welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the OMFIF podcast. My name is Taylor Pierce, Senior Economist of OMFIF's research team. Here with me today is Barry Eichengreen, Professor of Economics and Political Science at the University of California, Berkeley, and Chima Simpson-Bell, Economist in the African Department at the International Monetary Fund. Barry and Chima will be discussing the topic of their recent publication, Gold as, an international, as International Reserves, a Barbarous Relic No More. There is a long historical legacy of gold as a reserve currency or asset, uh, but obviously gold status has evolved over the past several decades. And more recently, your research shows that some central banks have been keen to increase their holdings of gold as a hedge to inflation for geostrategic purposes and other, and other reasons. So Barry, I'll come to you first. Could you give a brief summary of the key findings of your recent research uh, regarding the increase in central bank gold holdings since the global financial crisis? Of course. Um... I might start by providing a little bit of context that Chima and I and a third co-author wrote an earlier paper on reserve diversification away from the dollar. And one dimension that we didn't consider in that earlier period was was gold reserves. So um, that gap was pointed out to us and that led us to write this second paper. Briefly, um, we find uh, uh, movement toward gold reserves, increases in in holdings of gold reserves since the global financial crisis of 2008-2009 on the part of a number of emerging markets. So this movement toward gold is not general, but uh, it is dominated by really by a handful of emerging markets. We look at the motivations for increasing gold holdings, which range from uh, relative returns on alternative reserve assets to uh, global economic policy uncertainty to sanctions. The motives vary across countries, but there is evident in the data uh, some increase in gold holdings globally having trended downward in the first decade of the 21st century, they appear to have trended upward subsequently. Great, thanks. And maybe Chima, I'll come to you if you can elaborate on the role of gold as a safe haven asset for central bank reserve uh, reserve managers during periods of economic, financial, and geopolitical volatility, uh, and which countries are the key diversifiers you identify, uh, specifically as emerging markets and uh, as opposed to advanced and developing economies? Sure. So um, in terms of the, the role of gold as a safe asset, I think um, gold has long been considered um, as performing well against different types of um, financial and political risk. And you know, there's previous uh, research looking at the attributes of gold and trying to dig deeper into um that perception of gold. So um, there's been been work looking at the return of gold versus um, the behavior of the the US dollar or um, the behavior of equity markets um, and gold during inflationary periods as well. Um, And there are mixed results. Um, But um, the basic idea is that gold is thought to perform well um, when the economy is doing badly or when you have heightened um, political um, or economic um, volatility. In terms of the um, the key um, diversifiers, 
that we find in our paper. Um, we find 14 countries in total that have uh, increased the share of gold in their reserves by more than 5% between 1999 and 2021. And then we split that group of 14 into large buyers and smaller buyers. The large buyers being those that bought more than 1 million troy tons, um, troy ounces, sorry, of gold um, over that period. Um, and so in the group of big buyers, you have, um, I think, uh, Uzbekistan, we have Belarus, uh, Kazakhstan, Turkey, Iraq, Qatar, uh, Argentina, um, and Hungary. And, and so when we look at that group, um, without going into the specifics too much, we see that these are countries that have faced quite specific economic or, um, say, geopolitical risks that might have incentivized them to move into gold. Um, and if you compare those countries and other emerging markets with uh, advanced economies um, as to you know, why they have a stronger incentive to move into gold, um, you know, economic risks are definitely part of the story. And uh, we also find um, evidence that uh, emerging markets are more responsive to economic policy uncertainty, which has been um, important uh, since the global financial crisis. Um, and we also see that, you know, especially since 2010, uh, financial sanctions have been imposed um, more heavily by um, issuers of major reserve currencies. And that would be another reason why emerging markets especially have felt that they need to move into gold and um, because those sanctions have mostly fallen on um, emerging markets rather than other advanced economies. Right, that makes sense. Um, Barry, did you have anything to add there and any other factors which contribute to a country's rationale for accumulating gold reserves um, that you found in your research? Well, we, we look at a wide range of factors in the paper and I should mention that the final version of the paper is now uh, available to readers at the Journal of International Economics. It's now published. Um, and the final version does differ in a few particulars from uh, the working paper that we circulated previously. We look at dollar volatility, for example, and do find uh, evidence, some evidence, that periods of dollar volatility encourage central banks to move away from the dollar and toward gold. Uh, but the main determinants are relative returns, as I said earlier. So um, central bank gold holdings respond positively to the return on gold itself, the expected return on gold itself, the ratio of gold futures prices to current spot prices, the gold share depends negatively on, on the return on alternative financial assets. So when the U.S. funds rate is high, uh, holding dollars as reserves is relatively more attractive uh, and central banks hold less gold. And as Shima uh, said, uh, policy uncertainty and risk are important. So we find a, a, a positive impact on the gold share uh, of global economic policy uncertainty and a slightly weaker but also evident uh, effect, positive effect of um, geopolitical risk. Interestingly, uh, a burst of global economic policy uncertainty leads central banks to permanently increase the share uh, of their reserves they hold in gold. 
uh, a, a spike in geopolitical risk has only a transitory effect, or at least that's what our, our results seem to indicate. Right. Uh, another factor that, that Chima mentioned, and one of the key findings of the paper also has to do with financial sanctions imposed by um, reserve issuing jurisdictions. And you find that this is associated with an increase in the share of central bank reserves held by gold. Um, could you provide some examples with, which illustrate how multilateral sanctions had a larger impact than unilateral, than unilateral sanctions? Excuse me. Um, Chima, I'll come to you. Sure. So, I mean, the, the thinking behind, um, at least for us, the thinking behind um, that observation would be that, you know, the majority of um, foreign exchange reserves are hold, held in a small number of currencies. So the currencies that we would refer to the big four, the US as the big four, the US dollar, the euro, and Japanese yen, and the pound um, make up close to 90% of um, global foreign exchange reserves. And so if you're facing sanctions from the issuers of one of those currencies, um, then one option would be to move your reserves into one of the other currencies. So if you're being sanctioned by the US, you could maybe increase the share of the euro in your reserves. But if you're being sanctioned by multiple uh, major reserves issuers at the same time, um, there aren't many places you can put your, a large portion of your reserves. Um, and be um, protected against sanctions. So that's actually quite uh, a common case to consider because those major reserve currency issuers happen to be allies. So if you are being targeted by one of them, there's a good chance that you're facing sanctions from one or and all of the others. So a good example um, that illustrates this recently is the Bank of Russia. Um, you know, the 2021, or I think maybe end 2020 data um, on the currency composition of the Bank of Russia's reserves showed that the share of the US dollar in reserves was very low. So it was about a quarter of the uh, foreign exchange reserves, which is low compared to the global share, which was closer to um, 60% at the time. And so what some people thought at the time was that that would provide some projected protection against financial sanctions if they were imposed by the US. Um, but what we saw um, more recently is that when sanctions were imposed by the US, they were also imposed by um, other G7 countries, which um, meant that most of um, Russia's foreign exchange reserves were frozen and not available. Um, but then over that same period when um, Russia reduced its reliance on the US dollar and reserves, and they also accumulated a lot of gold. And Russia was um, not one of our active diversifiers over the period 1999 to 2021, but if you just look from 2008 onwards, they were an active diversifier into gold. Um, and so you could think that one of the reasons why they felt that it would be a good idea to um, increase um, gold in reserves um, would be the potential risk of being um, sanctioned by um, several major reserve currency issuers. Right, and that certainly turned out to be the case. Um, 
Barry, I'll come to you. Uh, what are some of the potential risks or challenges associated with central banks increasing their gold holdings as a diversification strategy? Central banks hold reserves for a, a, a variety of reasons, in, in, including uh, uh, being able to provide uh, foreign currency to their banks and importers and exporters. Reserves are, are, are useful for providing liquidity for cross-border transactions. Gold, not so much. It's Gold is dense. It is heavy. It is clunky. And it's hard to use for to finance cross-border transactions. So there are some exceptions that prove the rule. Uh, one that I'm always reminded of is when Venezuela, subject to sanctions, uh, purchased oil field equipment and maintenance services from Iran. It uh, made payment in the form of gold. It hired a fleet of airplanes to transport the gold to Iran. That kind of makes makes the case that using gold in payments is uh, exceptional and challenging. Gold can also be uh, used for financial transactions. So it can be swapped for currencies. It can be lent to uh other investors, so you can earn interest on the loan, but those kind of financial transactions are only uh, really feasible if you vault your gold in a financial center like New York or London with a recognized repository like the Bank of England or the London Metals Exchange or the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. So if you're holding gold because of fear or fact of sanctions, uh, gold can't be used for those financial transactions either because you're vaulting it at home. That's what the Bank of Russia did. It repatriated gold held abroad uh, in, in, in the course of the last decade. So the, the um, challenges are both practical and financial. Right. That makes sense. So transactional and potentially some liquidity issue, I suppose. Um, Looking ahead, um, Chima, maybe I'll come to you, but I'd like to pose this question to both of you. Uh, given all of the challenges that you just laid out, um, that Barry just laid out, do you anticipate that these factors driving central banks to diversify into gold will continue, or do you see any potential potential shifts in this trend in the future? Um, yes, well, in terms of the, the drivers that we um, identified in the paper, one obvious one is the... Um, relative return um, on other um, reserve assets, um, which has changed a lot um, over the last couple of years compared to the previous decade. Um, so now that we uh, in an environment with much higher interest rates um, on dollar assets, for example, um, that might be an incentive for some countries to hold lower shares of gold um, than they have um, since the um, financial crisis. Um, on the other hand, um, we also find that um, economic policy uncertainty and um, geopolitical rift um, encourage countries to hold more gold. Um, it's not obvious at the moment that either of those factors are 
uh, going to disappear uh, anytime soon. Um, and especially with the geopolitical risk side of that, if that um, continues to translate into um, increasing imposition of financial sanctions, um, then we could expect that um, the incentives to diversify into gold will still be there um, in the future. Um, so those are two um, factors that I would highlight. Um, they could um, affect the, the, the trend of gold reserves in the next few years. Right. Um, same question to you, Barry. I wonder if maybe you could expand a bit, given your other paper, and speak about where you see reserves uh, were generally evolving in, in as we look ahead. Forecasting is hard, especially when it involves the future. Um, in terms of gold, I think Chima uh, put his finger on it that, uh, on the one hand, we're in a higher interest rate environment, which encourages central banks to hold financial assets instead of gold. On the other hand, we're entering a period of geopolitical risk, heightened geopolitical risk, clearly, which kind of points in the other direction. Um, another thing that we uh, emphasize in the paper is contrasting trends in advanced countries and emerging markets, that advanced countries entered the 21st century, holding relatively large amounts of gold that they sought to pare down. Emerging markets entered the 21st century with lower levels, which they have sought to build up since the global financial crisis. So if you think emerging markets are going to grow faster than the advanced economies, probably a good bet on average, then this compositional effect may continue to point in the direction of a larger share of gold in, in foreign reserves worldwide. Um, as you uh, suggested, Taylor, uh, these trends need to be seen as uh, against the backdrop of re reserve diversification more broadly. And there in our earlier paper, we did point to some diversification away from the dollar, but um, not toward the other members of the big four, not away from the dollar and toward the pound, the euro, and and the yen, but rather uh, uh, away from the dollar, whose share of identified global foreign exchange reserves has fallen from something on the order of 70% at the turn of the century to a bit below 60%. Now, that decline in the dollar share has been matched by an increase in the uh, share of the Chinese renminbi and an increase in the share of what we refer to as non-traditional reserve currencies, the currencies uh, of smaller, open, well-managed economies, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, South Korea, Norway, Denmark. Um, but what's interesting is Many people, and I kind of include my, myself in an earlier incarnation here, anticipated that the renminbi would be the principal challenge, challenger to the dollar. And what we find is that only about a quarter of the shift out of dollars has been a shift into the Chinese renminbi. The other three quarters has been a shift into these non-traditional reserve currencies. Uh, an interpretation of that is with modern digital trading technology, it becomes easier to 
hold and trade a variety of currencies. It's easier to buy them, sell them, shift between them, so that currencies which didn't figure on the international monetary landscape before the digital revolution will figure now and increasingly in the future. So uh, an implication we drew in that earlier paper is that there are alternatives to the big four. And one might say there are alternatives to the big four and to gold, uh, which are the traditional reserve assets. And I would expect as digital technology continues to develop and advance, uh, the international monetary system will become more diversified and it will diversify in that non-traditional direction. Great. Well, that sounds like there's a lot to look out for there in terms of uh, reserve diversification, gold, and a variety of different currencies that may look to challenge the dollar with not with the renminbi potentially not being uh, as strong a challenger as, as we may have anticipated a decade or so ago. Um, I'd like to thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you as well to our listeners. And for more on the topic of gold, uh, gold's role in international reserves, be sure to check out the paper. And thank you uh, for joining us for this podcast. And be sure to check out our podcasts wherever they're available on iTunes, Spotify, or elsewhere. Thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast.